you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Justin Gordon. Justin, do you want to say hi? Hi, everybody. Aloha from Hawaii. Yeah, every time I think of living in Hawaii, I get a little bit jealous. Um, beautiful place. It's a little bit expensive, but beautiful place. Anyway, we had you on episode 284 and then back again on episode 352 talking about uh, React on Rails. And the last one, we talked a bit about Webpacker as well. Um, and so I thought, oh, it'd be interesting to kind of capture Justin's story and let people know who he is and what he does and and all that good stuff. Do you want to give just a brief introduction and then we'll dive into how you got into programming and all that good stuff? Uh, Chief Chuck, um, I, have, I don't know where to start. I mean, he's talked about like introduction to programming. I think I got introduced to programming when I was probably the, a little little kid. I think my very first experience was my dad bought us an Atari machine. We played Pong. Um, so this is, this is going to predate all the millennial people out there. Anyway, and then um, junior high school, had some basic programming classes. And then by the time I got to high school, I was learning Pascal. And I just got, I just got really into programming just when I was a little kid. Like It was always really fun for me. And I've been doing it my entire, pretty much my entire life. Although I will say there, there was a point after in high school I got so into it and I spent so much time into it, and a little bit after that I actually stopped programming for probably about two, three years when I was in college at Harvard, uh -huh. just because I thought that it would be more interesting to become an investment banker, a lawyer, or a doctor, maybe or something like that. <laughs> and then I got out of college, and then I realized I have to sit around someday and do something, and it wouldn't just be going snowboarding. And so I got to have to be in an office. So if I'm going to be in an office, I better do something I really like, and it's fun. Uh -huh. And then I got really back into programming. And in those days, actually, I got, for some reason, I got into doing Fourth Dimension, which was a Mac database, kind of, um, you know, around the days of FileMaker and the Mac. And I think, if, you know, if you look at that, that's actually kind of predates sort of what we do in Ruby on Rails. And have you ever heard of that one, Chuck? Uh-uh, I haven't. ACI, ACS, this was like the original Mac database. Anyway, that's how I got into originally doing database applications years ago. And I don't know, I'll let you do some talk and ask me some questions, Chuck, but I could go, I could go on and on. No, it's interesting. I mean, you know, yeah, people get in for different reasons at different times. Um, yeah. And we've had different people. It's like, Oh, well I got in as a kid and then I 
got away from it for a while and then came back and other people, it was kind of always what they did. I'm, I'm a little curious. So did you study computer science then at Harvard or was that, did you study something else? Yeah, it's interesting. I never took an official computer class after high school until, um, I remember I took a C plus plus class at, um, Cupertino's, uh, like city college in Cupertino when I was working for CS. And no, I didn't. Um, and the reason why I think was because uh, back in those days, this is um, before the Internet. And it was kind of it was really isolating. I, I think like all people nowadays, it's it's so much easier. Back then, you have disks, you put stuff in there. And it was just it was a really lonely, isolating experience. Sometimes you're debugging this stuff and, you know, before the Internet. So. So, no, I didn't take any classes. I was really into math. I studied applied math at Harvard. Mm -hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of economics. And I think what the best thing about Harvard was that it taught me actually how to do the skills that I didn't want to do when I was a little kid, which is learn to write. Mm -hmm. Which actually, you know, if you're in the Ruby community, that actually turned out to be kind of useful later on. If you've heard some of David's podcasts on that for talks on that. Uh -huh. Yeah. So what was it, you know, after you'd gone to college? You know, you're back out doing stuff. Um, what made you come back to programming? So I did a lot of programming at first. Um, I was actually doing a lot of Pascal programming my first year or so of college. And then um, I just I just wanted – I just took a break from it. I just wanted to study math and economics and things like that. Uh -huh. And then after – and then what happened was – um, I, and I didn't have a Mac at that point. I had a PC and stuff. And for some reason, and it sounds kind of corny, but then I got a Mac around my senior year of, of um, college. And all of a sudden, I just got so into it and learning about it and things like that. And I don't know, I just got, got really into it again. Can't really, can't really explain it, but I just, you know, it's just natural. I just love doing it. But sort of the thing about like my company is just, the number one thing I've always looked for for people that we've hired for programming, besides that they're going to be efficient and smart, is they just love doing it. Like yeah. they, they program outside of, you know, the regular job. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I find that that's, that's kind of a core thing for me as well is, you know, working with and connecting with people that really love what they do. It, it just makes the whole thing better. Um, I worked at one company at one point where everybody was just kind of there to fill the full-time job. And it just, yeah... It, it, it really lacked something in the sense that you were working on something together, that you were part of something that mattered, you know, and that you could really talk to people because they didn't care. At the end of the day, they were just going to go home and, um, you know, do whatever they do at home. So how did you find Ruby? Okay, well, so I found Ruby and, um, you know, I went to C++, Unix systems, and then I got into Java programming. I was doing a lot of database stuff. And, you know, fast forward a lot, lot, lot of years. And then um, the true story, what happened is, is I went to a little meetup over in Maui and there was a little startup company there and they needed some programming help. And I was just, you know, I knew Java inside and out and mm -hmm. kind of went over there and thought like, oh, I'll tell these guys, you know, maybe we could do some of the stuff in Java. And they were doing all the, you know, typical startup stack of, you know, using Ruby on Rails. And one of the guys doing work there was Andre Arco, the guy that maintains Bundler. Uh -huh. So I'm going in the office every day and Andre's showing me some stuff. And then I'm starting to look into Ruby on Rails. And then I went and I did, um, I actually went through the 
um, Michael Hartle's tutorial, um, the Rails tutorial, went through that and, you know, just kind of go, wow, this is like so much easier because before that to write a web application in Java was just, it was a lot of work. Right. That's, that's nice. And it's interesting. Um, you know, it, it was less work. It was more intuitive. Um, so was it rails that brought you in then or were there other aspects yeah, of Ruby? that sure, you liked? For sure. It, it was, it was rails. It wasn't Ruby. And at first I remember when I'm learning rails and I don't really understand Ruby that well. Uh-huh. And the problem then when you learn rails, you don't understand Ruby very well is you don't understand what parts are rails and what parts are Ruby and how the heck this magic works. Yep. It's just, I think one of the biggest things is like you're programming in Ruby or rails and it reads the database and you're like, you can read the values that are in your, your models by just putting in the field name and the column name. And then, but all of a sudden you want to set the value and you always got to remember self.column name equals this. And it just, you know, it actually, did, it was a while before, by the time I got around to, you know, really understanding Ruby and all the surface area and, and everything. So it's a lot different than, you know, Java, Pascal and C++ that are, you know, they're just totally different. Yep. So it just, yeah, so that was interesting. That is, it took a while. I'm kind of curious, how did you wind up in Hawaii? So I ended up in Hawaii because when I was a kid, I think um, around high school, I learned to windsurf a little bit, uh-huh. and I just loved it. And eventually, you know, after moving to San Francisco, I was doing a bunch of windsurfing there. I knew I heard that Maui was the place to go, so I took a flight out to Maui. And I just remember the first time I got off the plane and just looked around and go, wow, this is so much better than California. Mm-hmm. So, and then after that, I would go back and forth a lot. And then eventually we had, um, you know, the ability to telecommute. Right. So then I started telecommuting just a little bit. And I go, wow, this is the way of the future. And then eventually it became, um, you know, real true remote work. And back in the day, there was, you know, all this stuff that we take for granted now, all this video conferencing, I mean, just, you know, internet and all this stuff, it just didn't exist for tech jobs right. 20 years ago. I, I love that. Windsurfing. <laughs> it's just yeah, cool. windsurfing brought me out here. And nowadays I'm actually living on the beach, um, right off the beach and um, right by Pipeline in Oahu by Sunset Beach and Pipeline on the North Shore. Uh-huh. I don't actually... Um, really don't surf those spots too much, but there's a lot of other spots around here. So now, now my focus, like you get a, you get a little bit older. And one of the things you like to do is make sure if you do have some time to exercise, it's really a lot of, it's about just fitness and staying in shape. So that's what I really like about just plain surfing. So that's my main focus these days. Nice. Yeah. My wife and I visited North shore when we were out there for Aloha Ruby a few years back. Usually she doesn't want to go with me to the conferences, but that one was in Hawaii, so she totally took me up on it. And that was years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, and then we, we, but we went out to the Polynesian Cultural Center and saw all that stuff, and you know, kind of drove around the North Shore area a little bit. Yeah, Hawaii, I think, is a really, really wonderful place. Is um, you know, work remotely because we got fast internet here. Uh huh. And it is, um, you have know, just incredible recreational opportunities. It. You know, people say it's really expensive out here, and but the fact is, is that, um, well, I mean, expensive is relative. Right. If you live in San Francisco, the good thing about living in San Francisco is you go anywhere and everywhere seems less expensive. 
<laughs> so, so it's, it's sort of relative. Sure, it, it is actually way more expensive um, than, say, living over in Utah or some places like right. that. And yeah, sure, um, the grocery store is probably going to be quite a bit more expensive for your basic stuff. We got Costco here. Mm-hmm. And if you do like bulk purchasing at Costco, it's tiny, tiny bit more expensive. You know, gasoline's a tiny bit more expensive. But you're here in Hawaii. Yep. Yep. Totally makes sense. So you run a company called Shaka Code. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, what we should talk about actually is just. I think what's more interesting is just, you know, how I got into the Ruby community. Yeah. Because we, we haven't really talked about that. So let me go back. Let me, let's, let's focus on my, um, my Ruby history story. So I started doing just a little bit of work for this, this startup company. And then um, um, a guy at another company, actually a longtime friend of mine, actually a windsurfer friend of mine, um, says, hey, I got a startup idea and stuff. You know, I really need someone that can do what you're doing, you know, Ruby on Rails type stuff. I know you're a really good programmer. And he goes, you want to do some work for us and whatever. And um, I, I kind of thought about it. I was like, I don't really want to work for a friend because I know the programming takes, you know, it's it never goes as fast as an engineer thinks it's going to go. Right. Anyway, though, he goes, hey, I really want you to do it. And, you know, hey, I'll pay you. Let's do it. And I go, you know what? Sure. Let's give it a try. And that was, um, it's a, com- a company called Blink Inc. It's uh, photography. It's great. You go in there, they take a picture of you for your headshot, Chuck, for your um, uh-huh. website, your family for sending out a Christmas card. And then the pictures will be just pretty much walking out the door and the pictures are on your phone. So, and you can buy them. So I started doing that application. And so, hey, start doing a lot of work for them. And then I'm trying to think about what, you know, what happened. But, um, you know, I start just when I'm learning Ruby, I just there's so many articles on it. It was just Uh so helpful. Learning Rails, learning Ruby videos. um, And then I got and then the the thing that really changed for me was when I went to GoRuco, the Golden Gate Ruby conference. Uh And I went and I go, wow. This is so unlike the Java community. I actually spoke at a bunch of Java programming conferences from Dr. Dobbs before then on test-driven development. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was into test-driven development for on the Java side. Anyway, I go, this is like really, really fun. Everyone here is really authentic. These are real people. They really love to program. They like to make fun of the Java community, which I thought was amusing having come from the Java community. And yeah, so, and then after that, I think, um, Shortly after that, I just got I got into writing articles and Rails on Maui is my um, uh-huh. is my blog. Then this is 2013, and then after that, I started um, you know getting some other people that wanted me to do some some more work. Um, my biggest client said, "Hey, why don't you should like hire someone to help you out?" Then I hired one person. Then all of a sudden, it just became more than just doing freelance work as a Rails developer. Uh-huh. And that was so then at that point in time, the company was called Rails on Maui. And around then was when I started doing a lot more JavaScript work. And a friend of mine introduced me to React, which eventually and Webpack, which eventually became React on Rails. And then so then I thought, okay, well, the name's Rails on Maui. I might not always do Rails for that long because we might be doing a lot more JavaScript. And what if I'm living over in Oahu? I better come up with a slightly different company name. And I go, how about, because we always do a Shaka, you know, whenever we see people here in Hawaii, 
And that just kind of just means that it's kind of like a way to wave and say hello. Uh-huh. This is a very Hawaiian thing. And so I go, well, how about Shaka Code? And we go, that's short. The domain name's available. I bought the domain name within a few seconds, and that was a really easy decision. And so then it started off as one employee, and then next thing you know, I trying to recruit more people. I'm writing more articles. I was um, getting a lot of people were interested in joining us with our remote first culture. And they would see us um, pretty much all from my talks and my um, open source on React on Rails. So that that was just a really, and I I really stumbled into that. I tried kind of writing a little bit of open source stuff before, but the key thing about React on Rails was it was just a really useful thing to build. Yeah. And now it's, you know, so a lot of it, you know, coming up with any sort of open source that catches on, it's got to, you have to be at kind of right place, right time, right implementation. There's a lot of things that have to just go just right. And there's no way you can kind of force it. It's a lot of uh-huh. it's luck. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's funny. But because, it's definitely a lot of hard work. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's interesting, though, that, you you know, you kind of have... Uh, made a name for yourself in the uh, React on Rails uh, community and that that's what's bringing people over to you now. And the other thing is, is you mentioned the the culture of remote first. And again, you know, a lot of people, they, they see these things and they really want some of those things. And so, you know, it feels risky at the time, right? It's, well, I'm betting the farm on React or I'm betting the farm on being remote. And it turns out that, you know, you hit something that people want and they come running. Yeah, there, there was, let, let, let's make this clear, Chuck. There was no betting the farm on remote. Okay. Uh-huh. I was, I started, um, actually I started doing remote work when I was at, um, at first at IBM when they allowed, oh, they, had, they did have a lot of people back in the day when it was a different uh-huh. company doing remote work. So I was doing, you know, then I got used to doing remote work, but these are the days where we'd have, um, We'd have telephone calls, um, these terrible long um, conference calls. <laughs> and I remember my girlfriend at the time, she just thought it was the funniest thing ever that I'd be like mowing the yard and I've got my cell phone on. I'm in one of these conference calls and people just keep talking, talking, talking. And then I finally, um, you know, I go and then I'd hear my name. I'd shut off the mower you know, and start talking and say, yep, 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 yep. So that was, you know, that was <laughs> You know, nowadays we actually have Zoom calls, so I can tell if someone's not looking at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, though, so there's no betting the farm on remote work. And I knew that I've always enjoyed, um, you know, I've, I never liked being in cubicles. I always enjoyed being in my own office yeah. and being, I always yeah. felt that um, doing software is really, it's an, sort of like an artistic thing and you've got to be in sort of the right zone and doing it. So you have to have control over your environment. And, you know, I was one of these kids that I didn't like studying in the library. I always just wanted to be in complete control of my environment. Makes sense. So it just, just, it just fit me naturally. And the people that we hire at Chalky Code, they've really got to fit into, um, you know, being able to work remotely. It's, it's definitely not for everybody. I've had sometimes, you know, especially some younger guys come on and they just, you know, they don't want to work remotely. They want to go to an office. They want that social thing. Right. So. So how do you how do you hire for remote first? Because I know some companies really struggle with that. They find somebody they really want, they try and bring them in remote, and then for whatever reason it doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean it. It definitely it you know it doesn't work out all the time. So I mean one one thing we really you know that back in the day it was 
It was happening a lot more before. It hasn't happened as much recently, but a lot of the people that ended up um, joining the company were ones that helped me out with the open source on React on Rails. Uh-huh. You know, so that's one of the things is whenever, and we also have a Slack community. So, you know, so people just send me an email, justin at chocacode.com, you know, join our Slack room. I've got a, um, I've also got a forum, forum.chocacode.com. And, and then we got the open source. And I say, if you want to get, you know, you want, want to become part of us, just get involved and kind of, the things we're interested in, in Rails and React and contribute to the community a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a, um, um, con, you know, an open source pull request. It could just literally just be, you know, getting involved in some conversations, helping out, out other people in the community and, you know, just, you know, get into, you know, sort of work with me on community stuff. And then if we like each other, then sure, like next thing is you could be hired. Yep, that makes but sense. But it's not it's not always like that. Sometimes I get people because we, we really do need to hire people. You know, we're looking for people right now. If you like um if you like working remotely, you like um you know what we're doing with React and Rails and React React JavaScript, etc. Then just you know, we'll interview you kind of like regular and sometimes we do just try people out for a few months. We see how it works for both of us. Yep. At least, people, Chuck. At least people don't have to relocate their families to try out. That's you true. know to give it a try. Yep, that's true. Well, and I, I, the more I talk to people, and the more I talk to people trying to hire or you know working companies and things, there are a lot more people that are out there trying to make remote work because they have all of these advantages that you're talking about. You know, nobody has to move. You can work from home. You control your environment. Um, you get to work from awesome people all over the world. Um, the open source opportunities. I mean, there are a lot of things that really come with that. So, yeah, you know, the uh, a lot of things are changing. That I don't think that you know, what? Why do we have a forty-hour work week, for example? You know, nine to five in office. All that stuff, I think, is is starting to you know, it's 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 changing mm-hmm. because now we can work wherever we want to work, and we have a pretty flexible culture here. You know, I do like my team members to be putting in full time, but we do have some people that are part time. And if they're part time and they're effective, it works for them and it works for us. then it's great. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to fit the mold of, you know, 40, you know, nine to five in an office you know, and all that stuff anymore. And I think, Chuck, you're an example of that, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I've been working from my house for what, seven years. And, and I did consulting for a long time, just working from home. And and that worked out better for my clients too because they didn't have to have me in an office, they didn't have to buy me equipment, they didn't have to do a lot of different things that, you know, come with hiring somebody. And yeah, it all it all worked out really nicely for them. And then I could just check in when I had work to show them. And really it was about the results. It wasn't even about the time I put in, which was also nice. Cool. So Chuck, I want, you know, there's another, I had another thought on, you know, how we pick people to hire. Uh-huh. One of the ways that, one of the things that really helps is I tell people to make contributions to, you know, what we're doing. Right. But every once in a while I get somebody that already has a blog. They already maybe have done some open source. So they've got stuff out there that uh-huh. I can see that they independently on. So that, that's something that, you know, when I started, um, you know, look, I don't, I would, ne- I would say a hundred percent, I would never have been able to start my own independent company if I didn't first start out 
speaking at some conferences. Yep. I, I spoke, at, spoke at RailsConf a, a number of years back. And so I want to say that I could never have started my company unless I really got into doing things to contribute to the community, which was real, first it started off with just writing articles. Uh-huh. And the main thing I just write articles about was anything that kind of took me a while to understand. Like maybe I'd find some different articles on stuff. I learned how to do something and you can, you can go see all these articles at rails on Maui. And then, you know, after that, then I got into, I spoke at rails Conf a few years back. I kind of, there was a subject that was a little bit confusing to me and which was still a matter of debate in the community, which is where you organize your rails code into uh-huh. quote unquote service objects. Or maybe do you break stuff up in the controllers, et cetera, and things like that. So I kind of wanted to research that and did a, did a Rails conference talk on that. And so just all these different community contributions eventually that led up to um, writing React on Rails, which is um, clearly my biggest contribution. And we, we still try to do this. We're still, okay, still writing articles. I created a forum, a discourse forum, to have discussions a lot of times that don't have time to write up a completely what I feel like is a polished article. So I just put up notes over in discourse. I, I do things like I share my, all my different tips on how to use the pry debugger in rails. So if you don't use, if you're not really good at say using pry, you're really missing out. Uh-huh. So, you know, just, I just contribute everything I can back to the community that I learn. Yep. And I found that it just comes back 10 X. And so when we get, whenever I can interview someone and they sort of have that sort of mentality, it's really helpful. Absolutely. So, so how did you get started with React on Rails? I'm sure we covered this on the podcast, but you want to just give kind of a shortened version of that? Yeah, sure. Um, I remember very distinctly getting started with React, with React and with Rails. This was back, I think, 2014, and I had one of my consulting clients. They had to do something pretty dynamic in terms of um, typical dashboard sort of thing where you want to uh-huh. click on a bunch of widgets and you want graphs to update dynamically. And then so then I was looking at, you know, we did a lot of stuff with jQuery and, um, you know, the conventional Rails ways of doing this sort of thing. So I go, what is out there? And this was when there was, you know, all these JavaScript frameworks were first were starting to get popular, like Angular was out for sure. Uh-huh. Played around, played around with Angular a little bit, but it just wasn't clicking with me. And look, just looking around, and then a friend of mine, I said, you know, what else do you know out there? And he goes, and this was really early in React, he goes, hey, you should check out React. And then I saw um, the conference talk from Pete on, on, you know, the whole concept of uh-huh. single, data flow, yeah. single data flow and the other ways it was designed. I go, wow, this really makes a lot of sense. Started playing around with it. And then I was trying to figure out, well, how am I going to get React into, the rail, into Rails? And at that time, the the other um, gem in the community, React Dash Rails, it had a way to do it, but ES6 had just come out as well, and I really wanted to use ES6, and I really wanted to just use, you know, the, a lot of things that were in the JavaScript community you couldn't do with the Rails way of doing stuff, which was kind of, at that time, was still the number one thing was using CoffeeScript. Right. So just dug around and just found one little, and my friend also... Um, Actually, as Pete Hunt told me, hey, you should check out Webpack, and Webpack had just come out. Uh-huh. So then I looked into this, go, oh, Webpack, and then um, React, I do this, and I kind of thought, oh, you know what? I get Webpack to build all my JavaScript stuff, and then Rails is just going to look like a JavaScript file that goes through the Acid Pipeline. Bing, 
Yeah. Okay, now I got like a little way to make it work. And then at the time also we wanted to make server rendering work because that way um, you can turn off JavaScript and then um, you know, your stuff will still get indexed by SEO. And that was kind of one of the things that the React Dash Rails library was doing. So I started just hacking around with it, this concept of um, getting Webpack in there. But by the way, before I did the gem though, actually there's a key part of the history. The gem didn't come around until you know, like a year later. I wrote a really detailed article in an, um, an open source example of how to integrate React with Webpack on top of Rails. So you can either use a gem or you could do the way I did it. And I thought, you know, obviously the way I was doing it was better because you had all the, you know, modern JavaScript parts. And then just people would tell me, oh, gosh, I would totally do your way of doing it and not the gem way, except your way is kind of a lot of work, one, and it won't do server rendering. Uh-huh. And, that was, and that was when I started hacking around with seeing if I could, um, you know, make it easier. And then that's what eventually led to a little sort of experiment called, called React on Rails. And then it just kept catching on steam. And now we're, we're, now we're getting closing in on 4,000 stars. And I think we'll reach a million downloads off of RubyGems in not too long. That's amazing. And it's funny because it just started as, oh, I kind of want a better way to get React into Rails. Yeah, that, that's actually, you know, a really good idea and just in terms of like if you ever want to make like don't make like an open source gem or something, uh-huh. just, um, you know, write some code that's examples. And then if it really feels that it could get abstracted into a gem that's going to be useful, then do that. But the very first thing is start off with a blog article and start off with an example and solve yeah. some real problem. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you working on these days? Is it more of these same kinds of things, or is there another area that you're delving into? So at the time of creating React on Rails, um, I wanted to build, you know, after a whole career of building software for other people and doing consulting, like a lot of consulting companies out there and software people out there, like, I want to build my own thing. Uh-huh. Right, Chuck? You ever yep. come across that? Everybody, everybody wants to build their own thing, and, you know, you've been kind of playing armchair quarterback long enough, and you think... How hard can it be to build a product? <laughs> Once you build a product, of course all the customers will come because you're so cool, right? And you're so yep. amazing. And you're going to be able to just do everything, the marketing of it, and re- release this thing out there. And next thing you know, it, you're going to be the next startup hit, right, Chuck? Yep. I'm actually working on a SaaS myself for podcasters. So, And how easy is it? Uh, it was fun getting started. <laughs> You get started, you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be so cool. Yep. So I want to build some software in the vacation rental space. Um, you know, I'm here in Hawaii. There's a lot of vacation rentals. I'm like, you know, what can we do? So I wanted to build a alternative platform to VRBO and Airbnb. I wanted uh-huh. to, you know, I, I knew that I kind of felt very confident about my team's JavaScript skills and just their programming skills. And the idea would be is that if we built this application, we learn how to do everything that's needed to be done for a startup, we would be more useful to our clients because, hey, right. we really know we really are doing something. We're creating all the, these you know patterns and examples of doing everything the right way, and we can help out our clients with this. Mm-hmm. And you can see that today. The, um, the domain name is Hawaii Chi. So Hawaii spelled out Hawaii and then add on to it C-H-E-E.com. And the reason why the name is Hawaii, is Chi, Hawaii, Hawaii is for Hawaii, 
because we're focused on vacation rentals here in Hawaii. And the cheap part is if you see the Disney movie Moana, the guy's always going, chee-hoo, you know, whenever um, the, the character Maui in the movie. Right. And that's just um, I was a surfer buddy of mine over here in um, Maui, a lifeguard actually, would always say that uh, whenever um, he's kind of catching a wave or something like that. So you know, that sounds kind of cool. So anyway, so we got this vacation rental site called Hawaii Chi, and it solves a problem. So the look in the vacation rental, this is the other thing is like you start off as a startup, you go, how hard can it be to compete with companies that are billion dollar companies? Well, it is a little bit hard, to be honest with you. Yeah. And we're, we're trying to find our niche so that we're a little bit different. And we've got this application built on top of React on Rails, Hawaii Chi. And right now we're um, working on building it up inventory and providing something that's going to be useful to somebody like you, Chuck. You want to come out here to Hawaii. You want to find a vacation rental. And maybe you can find some picks you like on Airbnb or VRBO, the big ones. But you're going to try to get your booking on Hawaii Chi possibly because we're not charging you the service fee, which mm-hmm. on VRBO or Airbnb is going to be two to $300 typically. Right. We're going to save you some money. We're going to get you in direct contact with the host. And we're just a you know great place for all the vacation rentals here in Hawaii to, to advertise. So right. that's our, I mean, really, it's like I wanted to kind of sort of save the world. And now our business is we're doing conventional, you know, marketing for vacation rentals here in Hawaii based on our, um, you know, techniques using Google and Facebook, stuff like that. And you, um, yeah, for a flat service fee, for a flat subscription fee, we'll help you out with your marketing and we'll bring you inquiries. That's awesome. So we're doing that and we're also helping out um, a number of different startup companies, um, typically with either, well, I would say all of them are either using Ruby or JavaScript. So we do, we do quite a bit of just playing JavaScript work these days as well. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah, I just got onto hawaiichi.com and just looked to see, oh, well, what do they have there? So it's a it's a good example of, you know, I looked at it this way, Chuck. The worst the worst case scenario is I've got all this, you know, I built this platform and it's not making tons of money, but at least it's a good example of what my company can do to help out other companies. And because we own all the IP in it, we can actually directly use that to help out other companies. So one of my focuses these days is helping out other companies in the vacation rental space. Uh-huh. You know, a good example of that is we have a, um, I like this, you know, it's not just a client, but I like to say a partner company in Florida, Emerald Coast by owner. And they're, you know, they're, they have a very old PHP technology. And so we have people on our team doing PHP and cold fusion even. I don't know if you remember that one. <laughs> I was in college when cold fusion was big. Actually, it's a shout out. If anybody does know Cold Fusion and wants to do a little bit of remote work or PHP work, although that's easier for me to find, yeah, give me a shout out. So anyway, I'm pretty excited. The vacation rental industry, it's interesting. It's really, it's been changing a lot. Whereas before, um, you know, you used to find a place to book and, you know, that was it. And places would advertise, literally, you know, different marketplaces, they'd advertise and that was it. They paid an advertising fee and they were on there. But nowadays, it's really it's become a very tightly controlled marketplace where you, Chuck, when you're looking for a vacation rental, you cannot really freely speak with the owner because right. the owner 
give you a deal and you're not going to have this extra $200 tip to the listing company. So they, what they do is they make it, they um, ensure that if you try to tell them your email, if you try to tell them to look you up on this website or whatever, they filter all that out. So you can't know the exact location of where the rental is. You can't know any con direct contact information about the host. So we're, tr we're trying to change that so you have more of a direct relationship with the vendor. Right. Yeah, that's one thing that does drive me crazy about like the VRBOs and stuff is that, um, you know, I want to know the exact location. Um, you know, I try and work some deal out and all of that has yeah. to happen within the confines of whatever they allow on the platform. And it, it, it kind of stinks. <laughs> and and yeah, I, well, we, I book travel fairly frequently. And so, you know, it just makes it well, hard. Chuck, Chuck, we got, we got something that's going to be coming out hopefully within a few months that's really going to be a game changer that once you know about what we're doing, you're going to, you're going to come to our site and we're going to find you, we're going to find you a deal, probably $200 less than you found on Airbnb or Airbnb. Nice. Like the key question, Chuck, is if we build it, will they come? Yeah. Well, that's always the question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, these podcasts, it's the same kind of thing. Of course, we just started it because we love talking about it and and then it became what it is and it sounds like a lot of the things that you've started have been kind of the same way yeah it's it's really you know that's probably that's the biggest misconception of you know doing these startups is one is if you build it they will come no nobody will come the next one is is yes we we sure we can get this done in six months you think you can get it done in six months it's probably yeah. 12 months at least and then you realize stuff like this literally happened last night. You think you're working on just, you got to make your stuff work on an iPhone, maybe even an old iPhone, an Android phone, uh -huh. a laptop. Okay. You got to make it work on Windows and Mac. Sure. Okay. And now you figure people have like a certain minimum like width for their screen size. Mm -hmm. And then I'm doing a, um, you know, support call. I'm doing a screen share. And I know my parents would do this too is that they would change the screen resolution so they have this really weird screen width that's yep. really not not phone width and not desktop width. Yep. And then we're, then the app is broken. I'm like, oh, man. You know, the, so it is, you know, there's a saying that it's easier nowadays to build a software as a service application than ever, right? You can like, we just, um, we just I just did a big integration with Stripe. So if anybody does need some, you know, work on integrating whatever their system is with Stripe. We're just doing a lot of work on Ruby with that. Uh -huh. But, um, you know, and there's React, there's Rails, there's so many other things you can integrate. So it's easier than ever, Chuck, to build your amazing software. Yep. So why has that made it harder than ever to succeed? Because <laughs> everybody else can do yep. it. And now, how is anyone going to know and we know, find your app, how will they trust your app? How will they make a purchasing decision? It's harder than ever to get recognized. Yep. Absolutely. I'm going to push us toward picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, 
Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, actually, one one thing, um, you know, before I go, go into some sort of more personal picks is that um, one of the things we're working on, Chuck, besides building our software as a service for vacation rentals uh-huh. and also, um, you know, we decided to work with React on Rails and helping out our consulting clients is one of the things we are doing, though, is I used to call it coaching and now I call it pro support uh-huh. is you have access to my full engineering team and, you know, me directly with a private Slack channel. And we're here to help you out. We're here to help you, you know, jump in there, pair program with you, do some debugging with you, review your pull requests. And we have quite a few companies we're helping out with this level of support with our JavaScript and our Ruby expertise. So, you know, we call that our pro support. You can find it at shockycode.com. And by signing up for that, you're supporting the development of React on Rails. Uh-huh. So um, besides obviously coming to my um, website, shockycode.com, checking out Hawaii Chi. Um, so on a um, personal level, like, you know, what are some things I've been playing around with? Well, here's, here's one that's kind of unusual is that I heard – so I'm fascinated first with getting a good night's sleep. I feel like when I wake up with a good night's sleep, I'm like 20 years younger, uh-huh. incredible energy. It's just been the most – you know, I'm obsessed with it. So I've got an Apple Watch. I measure my sleep. Etc. And um, there's a book, Why We Sleep. So if any of you have not read the book, Why We Sleep, I highly encourage you to do it because it'll really scare you into realizing how important good sleep is for everything else you're going to be doing in your life, whether it's your diet, exercise, creativity. Chuck, are you a believer in the sleep thing? I definitely feel it when I don't. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't get a good night's sleep, I am done. Yeah. So it's just absolutely critical. So read, read that book, Why We Sleep. And then so I want to make a shout out to the, the Kevin Rose show is one of the most fascinating podcasts I listen to. He had an episode recently with a guy named Serge Faquette. Bo- I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, actually. But the um, title of the podcast is How to Biohack Your Intelligence with Everything from Sex to Modafinil to MDMA. This guy, this is just absolutely fascinating. He doesn't hold back on anything. He will try anything. He has the resources to try anything. You know, whether he, I mean, he literally talks about he hires Russian fashion models to get sex and it's part of his productivity thing. Because, you know, if you listen to some other podcasts, it's, you know, basic human, you know, it's not like a want, it's a, you know, it's a need. Um, He talks about using modafinil, to improve intelligence, MDMA or whatever to get in better moods. Anyway, he goes through all this stuff, <clears throat> you, um, you know, just basic diet stuff. I think I'm on the same plan, sort of paleo, sort of keto stuff. Anyway, the, the point of the thing I want to mention is um, the sleep thing. He mentions because I really believe in a good night's sleep. I just started and Chuck, you'll have to ask me in a few weeks, probably by the time the podcast comes out. Um, I've taken a cold shower the last couple nights before I've gone to sleep and I've slept incredibly well. It could be the placebo effect that I think it's going to help or not, but I don't know. 
And he did mention that, that it did was, I mean, that you talk about there's some things in there like, you know, MDMA and modafinil, you know, you may or may not want to do some of this, you know, stuff. It's uh, like, it's illegal to do without a doctor. Taking a cold shower before you go to sleep, it sounds so frigging counterintuitive. Why, why would you want to take a cold shower before you go to sleep? So what I do is I take a cold shower and you want to sort of use a timer and I brush my teeth and it's got one of these vibrating toothbrushes that tells me when two minutes are up. Uh-huh. So that's my, my biohack I'm trying the next few weeks is does this cold shower before I go to sleep, you know, help sleep better. So how do you like that one? <laughs> it sounds interesting. Definitely not yeah, something I mean, that I'm eager to try. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it sounds so painful. Okay, so here, this is called Hawaii problems, Chuck. Uh-huh. Shower won't get that cold. <laughs> that's true. That's but true. it still feels, you know, invigorating, you know, when the water's, you know, 72 degrees here uh-huh. or 75. You know, it's still cold enough to be like, ugh. But, you know, when I've traveled to like San Francisco or someplace like that and I take a cold shower, whole, now I'm getting my money's worth. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here you're, you're Utah. Cold, right? It, it gets cold. Yeah. So how cold is your cold shower going to be, Chuck? Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> too cold. So that that's another thing. Like you read all these like productivity people. I got into taking like a cold shower when I wake up a while ago and it kind of sort of wakes you up a little bit. But like, uh-huh. again, I say it's like, my cold showers here are just a little cold. Right. You, you would have to, um, you'd have to adjust your thing here. But you know what, Chuck, I want to get an ice plunge bath or a cold bath or whatever. Uh huh. You don't need to do that in the wintertime where you are. Nope. Just walk outside. Walk outside or just, if you filled up your bathtub with just straight cold water, what would be the temperature? I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, so those are some picks. I mean, other just random picks. Um, you know, we use Zoom a lot. You know, every, if you haven't heard of Zoom, that works great. I know, Chuck, you're still on Skype. I think it's a thousand times better. And, um, yeah, so that we also want one other thing about our company is that we are a private company. But if we ever were sold, um, all of our um, team members would get a share in the sale of the value of the company. And we use a system called Massly. And they have a website, MAST.ly. It was started uh-huh. by the guy, Casey Fenton, that started Couchsurfing. And it's just a way that, you know, it's not like, you know, I don't think it's really like compensation. Like, But then again, are any startup stock options really compensation? But if we ever do become, you know, a big company and wherever sold out, my team members will get a share of the company. And so Massley does that. So we'll shout out to those guys. So I think it's a, I think it's a good mission that they're on. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've actually switched everything over to Zoom for the other shows, but not for these interviews yet. So definitely move in that direction. Um, it's nice because, uh, well, the things that I like, one is that uh, the video tends to degrade before the audio does. Yeah, uh, which is kind of important for podcasts. But the other thing that I've seen is, or the other thing that I like is that I can set up a recurring time to record. And as long as somebody starts that room, um, it'll record it and it'll record it to the cloud. So one of the issues has been like, if I go to a conference or something, and I'm not in a place where I can record. Um, I have to find somebody else who has the capability to record. And now all I have to do is say, okay, go in and start the call. And okay. then I download it. Check, I got one, one, um, one really like key tip for the Ruby programmers. Uh-huh. And it's because I've been doing a lot of, I was doing a lot of coding in Stripe and I've written about this in the past. It's 
learning how to use the Rails Council and especially Pry really well in understanding, you know, just where to put in. I mean, look, print statements are super, super useful. I've got all these tips on forum.shockycode.com, but especially my Pry setup there, as soon as something, you know, there's like something that doesn't seem right, I just, you know, I put in a binding.pry in there, I get right in there, or I'm running a task and I just put in rescue rspec and then the test name, and then Pry will just start up right as soon as an exception is thrown. And like I said, I've got all that stuff in forum.chakacode.com. And it's just, it's so, in, a long, it's so insanely useful. A long time ago in the Java world, I used to occasionally go into the debugger, you know, your IDE debuggers. And, you know, I get, every once in a while I get people, and I used to use the RubyMine debugger. And every once in a while, and people say, oh my God, you're using the debugger. Why, you know, that's like the most inefficient way to do stuff. And I would agree 100% that using the IDE debugger is terribly inefficient because it's just they've always been so slow and awkward. Right. But once you master the command line, you're you're seriously the master of the universe in terms of what you can do in Pry. I don't know if you, you ever get into using Pry in the council and stuff like that, Chuck. I do some. Um, most of my time is spent producing podcasts instead of programming, but yeah. Um, so if you're in there and stuff, really play around with that because that is just that is just such a key productivity tool I find. Awesome. You know, and of course, obviously, knowing how you test driven development and all that stuff. Yep. I guess the pick will just be the show I'm jumping off for. Um, we started a view podcast. Um, yesterday, we recorded episode three of our React podcast. So if you're interested in those kinds of things, I know Justin's into React. Um, ReactRoundup.com and ViewsOnView.com are the two new shows. Working on an Elixir show, it's not ready yet for consumption. Um, I'm still trying to find uh, the panel and make all that go together. But um, yeah, definitely working on that. I've had some people talk to me about other shows about like machine learning and uh, big data and stuff like that. So if you've got interest in any of that, go check that out. Um, devchat.tv also has a forum and I'm probably going to start posting there inspired by Justin and what he does at Shaka Code. Um, and that's at forum.devchat.tv and you can just go, go uh, sign up for an account there. Um, Justin, if people want to follow you on Twitter or see what you all are working on over at Shaka Code, where do they go? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know, Twitter is something I have not been super active on, but I do, I do um, post up there occasionally. Rails on Maui is still my Twitter handle even though I'm not only doing Rails and I'm not actually on Maui right now, but Rails on Maui. And um, definitely feel free to um, give me a shout out at justin at um, if you want to join our um, private Slack forum, uh, private Slack room. And check out React on Rails. I'm pretty easy to reach and really look forward to meeting other software people out there. Awesome. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you for coming, Justin. All right, Chuck. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again for the podcast. Yep, we and thanks for all the work you do for the community. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. All right, folks, we will uh, catch you all later. If you want to hear what I'm talking about here in a couple minutes, uh, go over to viewsonview.com and check that out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.